Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horsebook authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horsebook. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horsebooks, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. Today I am so excited to have Raquel Lynn of Horses and Heels and Stable Style fame on the show today. Hi Raquel. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So to kick things off, I'm going to read your bio and then we'll hop into the fun stuff or gallop into the fun stuff, which is obviously the interview questions. And Raquel has her buddy Mango back there hanging out during the interview. So he's going to make some appearances. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Mango's here. (laughs) Yay, Mango. He's famous all in in his own right too. We're going to talk a little bit more about Mango here as we get started. So... Raquel lives in an equestrian community just outside the hustle and bustle of Los Angeles with her paint mare, Fira, in her backyard. When she's not riding through the hills, she's sharing barb tours on stable style or posting inspiration on horses and heels. Raquel Lynn created her dream job one blog post at a time on her website, Horses and Heels. With a knack for interior decorating, beautiful photographs, and inventive recipes, Raquel has garnered thousands of fans over the years. Horses and Heels com stable style category grew so popular Raquel launched a sister website stablestyle.net focusing on barn tours and tack rooms stable style draws an international audience of horse lovers eager to peruse barns ranging from quaint two-style stables to luxury equestrian estates and that is so true. I love following Stable Style, and we're going to talk about you know the evolution of horses and heels, and then the creation of Stable Style as we get going. Um, awesome. But Raquel, I'm so happy to have you on the show, and I thought a very appropriate way to start would be to talk about how your love affair with horses began. Okay, so I mean, I guess I was that lucky girl who grew up on a farm and had a pony. Um, I grew up in Ohio on a 400 acre dairy farm. So I had a little Shetland pony named Lightning. That was my first, you know, love. And I basically, you know, I have great childhood memories of just running around the farm with him, you know, like playing dress up and riding in like tutus and just like trying to make him be like my little like trick pony and just doing all kinds of I was always riding bareback like I never wanted to put a saddle on my sister would always try and be like you need to put on a saddle and I'd be like oh no like we're gonna go bareback so I think just at that young age you know I was just a girl hanging out with her pony um and then as time progressed throughout the years you know my parents put me in 4-H um you know, lightning, he passed because he was very, very old. Um, So then I got, you know, another pony that was kind of, you know, a step up pony. And um, I did almost every discipline in 4-H and, you know, showed. And I think that it was just horses from, you know, the moment that I was born until, you know, just going on into adulthood. That's right. I think uh, we're actually born with it, uh, with horses in our genes. I know I was the, the same way. I wasn't lucky enough to grow up on, on a farm, uh, but I, I loved horses ever since I was a little, little girl. And my parents always thought I'd grow out of it, but here I am. I'm still loving <laughs> horses. Yeah. 
so, you know, in 4-H, you mentioned 4-H too. I grew up in the 4-H program and I think it is such a wonderful program for, for young people um, to just be involved in the community and be involved with animals, particularly the horse sector. But there's also yeah. arts and crafts and a whole lot of fun things to do. Did you have uh, like the 4-H fair in Ohio where you grew up? Did you have one of those too for your county? We did. And honestly, like from elementary school through high school, that was like the highlight of every year for me. It was, you know, <laughs> getting to show my horse at the fair. As I got older, there were the boys, you know, when I became a teenager, I was like, oh, you know, like want to impress so-and-so at the fair. So I have very fond memories of just uh, showing, you know, I did so many classes. Um, I did everything um you know from english to western to barrel racing the versatility all that stuff so i definitely i loved 4-h mm -hmm. it was so great and i was always so sad when the fair was over and you know you're you're, mm -hmm. you're you're totally cracking me up because it sounds like a page from my history because you know we met we met boys there you know it's like yeah. it was the, it was always like the um the dairy uh, or the cattle barn boys and then the horse girls mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's classic. Just like a small town like thing that was just like our highlight. And then school always started for us after the fair, like our school, you know, some schools started before the fair, but we didn't have to go back until after the fair. And we always thought that was really cool that, you know, we were special. So <laughs> that's so awesome. I love I love that you're involved in 4-H and and we can we can share that memory a little bit. It was such good yeah. time. Such innocent times, you know, and horses were the pinnacle of the whole mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> I love that. So you are still a horse lover, obviously. Um, and I am curious about you know, I know, I know personally about your, your heart horse that you have now because I follow all your adventures on social media and I love watching where, where you ride and what you're up to with her. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the horse you ha that has your heart now? So Fira is a registered paint. Uh, she's five years old um, and she came to me from Texas about a little over two years ago. And um, you know, it was a long search to find her. When I got her, she wasn't broke. Um, and she was just kind of, she was going to be my project horse. That was my intention for her. Um, just to, I wanted a paint, I wanted a mare, you know, I wanted a certain age, I wanted a certain bloodline. And then of course you throw a budget on top of all of that. And, you know, it was hard to find her. Um, and she came and she was really underweight when I got her. Um, which it kind of worked to my advantage, I think, in some ways, because she was very quiet when she first got here. And I was like, okay, I'm bringing this horse from Texas into the city. I was really, you know, unsure, you know, the first time I remember leading her out of her stall. And, you know, as soon as she goes out of her stall, like she's in the alley, we're in like the street. And I'm just like, okay, I remember telling my husband, like, I don't know what's going to happen right now. I don't know what she's going to do, you know, just like stay away from us, like, you know, in case she explodes or freaks out. And I led her around the neighborhood like one block and she was just, you know, mellow and quiet, which was great. Um, and she seemed really sweet. But I think as she got, um, you know, as I began to feed her more, she started to get a little sassy and then she started to get more of that personality, which I love. Um, but it's definitely been, I think, a big challenge with her. Um, she's great and I've definitely learned a lot with her, but she can 
definitely, you know, she has our moments. Cause if you do follow me on Instagram, people are always like, Oh, she looks like she's so well behaved and so perfect. And I'm like, well, you know, I only post the photos where she's <laughs> behaving. Um, but you know, that being said, she's only five years old and she, you know, goes down the street, she's traffic safe. You know, there's so many things around here every day is like, you know, it's different. You don't know what you're going to run into even just on the way out to the trail. So, um, I really like her. I'm just kind of, you know, always bonding with her. One of the things we're doing right now is I'm teaching her some tricks. So that's been kind of fun. Um, and I do lots of rides with friends and stuff and very social. So yeah, fear is a, she's a big part of my life. Yeah. And, and it's, it sounds like you're both learning together and actually adapting really well to city life uh, together. And I love following your adventures and I have a mayor, you know, my mayor sissy too. They always mm -hmm. have their moments and I'm, I'm quite the same. Like I post the, the, the nice stuff, but you know, sometimes yeah. they're naughty. Uh, and then for, for listeners that, that don't know, can you talk a little bit about um, where, you know, you're not on a farm, you're, you live in the city. Can you talk just briefly, I know you have a blog post on, on your website that details um, fears yeah. of conditions and she's very well taken care of, but can you talk a little bit about what it's like to live in the city with a horse? Obviously you were talking about, you know, just riding out to the trails. You don't know what's going to happen. A garbage truck can go by or some kid can go whizzing by on a bike and, a, and for a flight animal and, you know, adapting to that is, is, pretty extreme mm -hmm. and new. How has it been for you having her in the city? Um, I mean, I think it's been a great adjustment for both of us. Um, the advantage, I think, it being that she was young when she got here. Um, for me, obviously, I came from Ohio, so California living has been a culture shock, especially being here in Los Angeles. For you know, those of you who don't know, where I live right now is a 20-minute drive from, you know, Hollywood, 20 minutes from downtown. Like, from my backyard, I can see the back of the Hollywood sign. So we're in the heart of the city. But I live in what's called the uh, Riverside Rancho, which is basically an equestrian community. I'm technically, uh, my neighborhood is called Glendale, but it's Glendale and Burbank that are both... Uh, they're rancho-friendly, meaning they're, you know, they're horse communities. And they've been here for a very long time since the beginning. Um, so our backyards are basically zoned for horses. So my backyard zoned to have two horses. Um, and Fira has basically, it's a 25 by 30, uh, I just call it her stall, but it's, you know, it, uh, it has, you know, it's a pipe corral that has essentially like the back half of it is covered and she just has a shelter. Um, the weather being so mild here in California, you don't really need a traditional stall. You know, it's got the three, it's basically a giant shed. Um, and then the back half is covered and, you know, there's mats and stuff. And Fiera has set up her zones. She has her eating zone or sleeping zone. And she's nice enough to have her bathroom zone. So stall cleaning is really easy for me. Um, so that's kind of like our little backyard setup. I have an eight by eight shed, which is really tiny. Um, so I keep tack and hay in there. Um, everyone asks me, what do I do with my manure? Um, I get two trash cans from the city and I keep those next to her stall. I fill them up every week and then I wheel them up, uh, out to the alley and they dispose of them. So that part is actually really easy. And then as far as, you know, getting hay and stuff, you know, I can't fit a lot of that 
but I'm lucky because there's a bunch of local feed stores that they always offer like free delivery or delivery for $2 or something like that. So basically whenever I need hay, I'll just call up, you know, the store and I can get anything I want, you know, delivered. So that's really nice. That's really, really incredible. And I think people would be surprised to learn that there's a, you know, such a horse friendly community in so close to, to LA. Uh, and it's, it's really neat to know. I know for me as a, I'm from Michigan, you're from Ohio as a Midwesterner, when I came out West Arizona, what you described is very similar to kind of how the zoning and the, and the horse world works out here. I was surprised. I was like, where are the wood stalls? Like the enclosed stalls, like everything's Mm -hmm. piping, but it's, but it's hot here. So there needs to be airflow and you know, all they need is light shelter because the, the weather is so, is so mild. Like you, like you said, and I have the same situation. I, put my manure in a trash can and roll it out to the curb and they come and pick it up and it, I'm in a mm-hmm. horse community too. So it's, it's, it's different than the Midwest, but, but so great to be able to have our horses in our own backyard so close to these, these major cities. So that's yeah. so exciting. And I know that was something that you dreamed up for a very long time and, and now you have yeah. it right there. Uh, any thoughts about a second horse? <laughs> I mean, people ask me all that all the time. Um, Time-wise, I mean, I would love to, but even before finances, which it would be, you know, financially, I don't think I'm ready to make that commitment. But even if, say, all the money was there and it was like, okay, you know, money was no object, I can just have whatever horse I want right now. I just don't, I don't have the time to give to a second horse because what people don't realize um, is, you know, city life maintenance on a horse is a lot different than, you know, my friends who live in Ohio, if they don't ride their horse for one or two weeks, like that's fine. Their horse has pasture and, you know, they can just run around and be wild. And I know people like that, you know, they don't go out to the barn for a couple of weeks or, you know, they're not very active in their horse's life. With Fira having a smaller, you know, enclosed space, it's very essential that I get her out every day. Um, you know, some days I don't, maybe she gets out five or six days a week, but she has enough room in her stall where she can, and she will run around and buck. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen her do it. Like if she's mad about dinner, not being served on time, she'll (laughs) run around and buck and she'll look at the house. Like, I know you're in there. Um, (laughs) but I try and get her out frequently and I try and vary what she does. So, you know, some days we just hand walk and we'll walk around the neighborhood. Some days we have public arenas for turnout. So I'll, you know, just take her there to turn her out. Um, you know, some days I do arena work, some days I do hills and trails. So I vary all that. That being said with a second horse, you know, I could pony them or do whatever, but I just feel like at this point, um, I'm so busy that I don't think it would be fair to her or the second horse because I would be splitting the same amount of time in between two, but maybe just maybe a mini pony. Um, (laughs) I would love to get a mini at some point and obviously I wouldn't have to ride, you know, I could just do more turnout and stuff with that, but you know, down the line for sure. And that's really responsible. That's, that's responsible horse ownership and, and that's, really smart to think that way and but then a mini pony think of all the fun you could have on social media with that oh my goodness (laughs) yeah I can only imagine that would be fun 
So it, it really makes my spurs jingle to be talking to a, a cowgirl because I'm a cowgirl and that, that makes me happy. And you love paint horses just like me. And you ride Western and you adore cowboy boots. Uh, tell us why, you know, you, you, you grew up riding a lot of different disciplines. Tell us why Western is your discipline of choice. Um, so yeah, growing up, I mean, I did kind of a little bit of everything and I did have fun with it, but I think barrel racing, um, and Western just kind of always, it drew me in because, you know, it's a speed event. Um, I like, I've always liked a lot of the tech or, you know, I saw like the barrel racers. I'm like, oh, they're so cool. You know, growing <laughs> up, of course I thought that. And then, you know, I like that it's a sport where, you know, you're judged by the clock. So you're not judged by, you know, say how much money you have or, you know, literally a judge who might have certain bias towards certain horses or stuff like that. So I've always kind of, that I guess has been like a big appeal to me. Um, and then it's just, you know, it's fun. It's not too serious. I feel like you can still do other things, you know, there's, trail riding and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think it's good for a barrel horse to obviously get out on the trails and not just do arena work all the time. So I think that I've just kind of always, I think there's something really sleek and pretty about English. And I do like a lot of English, like maybe like home decor and stuff like that. Um, and I always say if I had to do English, I would be like a jumper or something like that. But Western just, I don't know, something about the lifestyle has just always had my heart. I love that. And uh, I totally agree. Do you have your sights set on any competition as far as barrel racing goes? Or are you, are you just practicing? Like what, what's in the future for, for just, you know, for that with you and Fira? Yeah. So for 2020, definitely some shows. Um, I haven't been really training her or starting her on the pattern that much just because of, you know, my own excuses in my head, which are just they're that, they're excuses. Um, but for 2020, one of my goals is to go ahead and uh, do one show a month. Um, I think if I do start barrel racing again, it's not going to be at like the same capacity that I did when I was younger. Like, you know, I'd go to one or two in a weekend and like, that was very exhausting. Now that I'm older and I have so much going on, I do want to show again. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a slower process. And then also part of that with where I live right now, um, I don't have a truck and trailer, mm. but I do, I don't want to give it away, but I see that changing in the future. Um, so, you know, for 2020, Vero and I will definitely be uh, getting out a little more. Let's just say that. Well, that's so exciting. I can't wait yeah. to follow your journey there. And I think, I think your goals are, are perfect and realistic. I mean, that's the cool thing about being an adult is you can decide, you know, what pace you want to go at and do what works for you, where you feel comfortable and the decisions you're making. So that's also really responsible. Yeah. So on a little bit of a different topic, I, I really wanted to just address this um, and, and get your perspective because, you know, it's been so heartbreaking for me watching the news. I know I reached out to you and I sent you an email checking in to make sure you and Fear were, were okay. Uh, but, you know, there's been so many wildfires in California. And I was just, you know, I kind of wanted to get your perspective. Um, what, what has it been like being a horse owner during this scary time and, and, you know, what kind of impacts has there been on, on the horse community? You know, 
for me, I'm very lucky because like I told you, I'm in a very safe area. So I'm very close to the city, even though we're surrounded by like mountains. So for the most part, when these fires are happening, I feel very fortunate because I don't have to panic. Um, but that being said, I know a lot of people who live in these communities um, and I know what they're going through. We have uh, a Southern California emergency evacuation uh, Facebook group mm-hmm. where basically, you know, what happens is when these fires break out, like equestrians will, they'll start a thread and just say like, they have staging areas for where we're going to go, like pick up horses. You'll say like, I have a two horse trailer. I have a four horse trailer. Like I can come here. They'll say we have, you know, 120 horses that need evacuated. So it's very, um, you know, it's organized in that way. And it's really, you know, even though it's devastating to see these fires, it's nice to see the community, like people will help everyone out. Um, so it's been nice to just see like that sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, you see all these little news clips and stuff and it's horrible because sometimes when the fires happen, they happen really quickly mm-hmm. and you've got to evacuate. I've learned from like several friends and they've been really lucky where they evacuated early and everyone kind of thought that they were being dramatic and they thought they were getting out too soon. But then the one's friend or her barn is completely gone. So she was really happy that the trainer, you know, at like 6am was like, we're getting the horses out of there. And everyone's like, why, why are you evacuating? And sure enough, that barn was gone within a couple hours. And then same, another friend that I know, um, it was evening time and there was a fire that started, you know, it wasn't close to them at the moment, but she told her husband, she's like, we're leaving. And her husband was just like, you know, Oh, like, you know, it's, it's not convenient to evacuate. So he kind of was rolling his eyes the entire time while, you know, they got out and they're safe. And uh, the fire did come basically back to their property line. And so like there were singe marks essentially at the back ends of the pastures. And they're really lucky because, you know, they kept their home and everything. But I think that, you know, when it comes to these fires, I think you just have to be really aware and you have to you have to have a plan um because nothing really goes as planned like even if you have one you're not going to be sticking with that plan and i think you just need to get out for sure because then you hear about the other sad stories where people are just turning you know <laughs> that was mango yeah you know you just want to you don't want to be opening the doors to your horse's stalls and you know they'll probably fend for themselves and they'll probably be okay but you don't want to be in that position where you have to just open your stall doors and hope for the best yeah i it's it's must be you know but it's better safe than sorry for sure and you know and and thank you for sharing with us about kind of such a difficult conversation to talk about and you know i was wondering um do you do i mean are people doing anything like microchipping or I know some people like braid um, the names and phone numbers into their hair or anything. Have you taken any precautionary measures just in, just in case or. um... So Fira isn't microchipped, but I think the next time the vet comes out, I'll have it done. Um, My thoughts on that in general, um, it's good to have done, but what I've seen even in, like these fire situations is you'll see people looking for their horses afterwards. Not everyone has access to 
read a microchip or that's not the first thing they're doing to identify a horse, you know? So there are, you know, specific Facebook groups for helping people find their horses. And there's a lot of groups that I'm involved in where they'll share, you know, cross posts because, you know, people will rescue other people's horses and they're at work. So they don't know where they get taken to. So as far as like braiding it into the main, like that's super important or having some form of ID on, you know, a leather halter. They recommend that you do not do a nylon halter or, you know, a rope halter, but, you know, if you can have a tag on them or, you know, definitely the braided in the main is great. I've seen, you know, where sometimes people will mark or write a phone number on the horse um, or, you know one of the anklet like bands basically. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think what I love so much about this conversation in particular is just, that's what I love about the equestrian community when there's, you know, when there's anything going on, we all band together and support each other. And that makes me happy to be a horse owner. And obviously you're experiencing that during, during these fires. So on a lighter note, I've always, <laughs> I've always wanted to ask you this question. How many pairs of cowgirl boots do you own? <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't even, I don't know because I still haven't counted, but you know, I feel like it's kind of a revolving door. Um, more enter and then some exit, you know, occasionally. I'd say I have 15 to 20 pairs um, because I know I have at least five pairs in the barn right now. Um, <laughs> You know, I have a very small house, so I have to scatter them about. So I have to have my designated barn boots that they stay out there. And then I have, you know, ones in the closet, a couple shelves that have some boots on them. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's probably 15-ish. That's awesome. And uh, never too many pairs of cowboy cowboy boots, right? <laughs> nope, never too many. Yeah, I'm always uh, drooling over some something that you've posted on on horses and heels when it comes to cowgirl boots. I, I know I've probably purchased several that you've recommended. <laughs> uh, That's good. And so Mango's made a couple of appearances as we've been talking today. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, hear a little bit more about Mango and, and Mango's story. Can you tell us a little bit about Mango? <laughs> yeah, so she actually, well, she's sleeping right here on the... Uh, the pillow behind me. I don't know if you can tell. It probably just looks like a pile of fur. Um, <laughs> she will be eight in December. Um, I've had her basically since she was a baby. She came with me from Ohio and has been with me through many, many moves. And, uh, you know, she's basically my sidekick. I mean, this, her being here with me, this is how we spend our days. If I'm in my office, she's in her little teepee, like at my feet. Um, she goes everywhere. And, you know, California is so dog friendly. So my husband and I were just at breakfast this morning. Of course, Mango came with, you know, she goes sometimes with me to parties and Adam will just be like, bring, you know, I get kind of anxious about meeting new people at parties and especially when we're going to like music events for him mm -hmm. so he knows i get like a little bit of you know anxiety and he'll be like just bring the dog she's a great icebreaker for the party so we brought her to somebody's uh engagement party last weekend and she was the star um <laughs> so she's basically like my little furry assistant who's always with me and kind of you know i take her everywhere with me and she's also very well behaved um 
you know, she travels very well. She flies with me on the plane. Um, you know, she has a little stroller. She goes everywhere with me. So I love her. Oh, she's fantastic. And you know, what would we do without our, our furry companions? I tell you, they, they bring mm-hmm. us so much joy, so much love, so much peace. I, my, my dogs are the same way. They hang out with me. I can't, I can't take them everywhere, unfortunately, but uh, they hang out with me all day while I'm working and writing and it, life wouldn't be the same without them. So thanks for sharing yeah. about her with us. So I, I wanted to move a little bit more into like the informational part of the, of the interview. And I'd, I'd really like to hear you describe, um, you know, horses and heels and stable style and what people can, can find on your very, very popular equestrian blogs. Okay. So horses and heels, um, is basically my lifestyle blog. It involves everything from cowboy boots to recipes, to home decor finds and DIYs. Um, I do try and rotate, you know, my subjects and my content to try and make sure that I'm a pretty, uh, I guess, have a broad range of topics. It's, um, you know, there's a lot going on, which I sometimes feel like it's been, it's a good thing. And then also sometimes I feel like it hinders me a little bit, the site that it is, um, which I'll just do a little quick segue into stable style and how that came to be about. So I have a second blog called Stable Style, which if the title doesn't tell you, (laughs) it's all about barns. Um, And back when I had horses and heels, I did, I have categories. um, So I created a category called Stable Style. And I was like, oh, it'd be fun to do some barn content occasionally on horses and heels. Well, I did, you know, a few posts and they were really popular and I saw that people really liked them. And I wanted to, you know, one week I was like, oh, I just want to do like a bunch of barn tours. But I was like, but your horses and heels, like your readers, you know, you need to have that variety that I like mentioned. So I um, was like, what if there was a second blog? So basically that was how the idea or the spinoff came to be. Um, So I remember I created the Instagram account first because I was like, oh, the handle's available. So I grabbed the Instagram and you know, started planning that. And uh, I launched Stable Style in 2016. I think it was, the site was live in December of 2015, but then I didn't really start posting regularly until like the spring of the following year. So Stable Style is everything barn, um, you know, from those, like I said, those cute little two-stall barns to the luxury stables. And then I do mix in uh, home decor and stuff like that as well. Some lifestyle topics because, you know, they are popular. And what's fun about stable style is, um, you know, my audiences on horses and heels versus stable style, they're a little different. Hmm. You can follow, I have a lot of readers who obviously they follow horses and heels and they follow stable style and that's great. But then I have a lot of new followers who just follow stable style and have no idea what horses and heels is. And that's okay too. You know, Stable style, if they just want the barns, that's great. That's what it's there for. And then horses and heels is nice because it's a little more personal. You know, I get to share things like about Fira or, um, you know, a special recipe or, you know, Mango, you know, she makes appearances (laughs) on the blog. We'll do dog content and stuff like that. So that being said, I really like having both blogs because 
it allows me to create a lot of different content. And then I feel like with horses and heels, I could kind of do whatever I want. Like, you know, I make the rules. Obviously, I make the rules with stable style too, but they are set to be, you know, a certain way. Um, mm -hmm. It's not personal or anything like that. So, yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, so it's, it's interesting that you manage two very popular equestrian lifestyle sites and they have different subject matter. So it has, has it been challenging to try Because I know I have a blog and I, you know, work on my books and I'm doing this podcast now and it takes a lot of time to create valuable content, you know, content that your readers and followers are going to love. So it, have you found it difficult to, to manage the time around too? Because they're both extraordinary and have a lot of information and they both have huge followings and it takes a lot. Has it, has it been a challenge at all for you? Definitely. <laughs> the short answer is yes. And we could just stop with that. But going into detail, um, you know, it's a give and take and it's a balancing act. I've had to, um, even this year, um, I've cut back a little bit on some of my horses and heels up content on the blog itself, mm -hmm. where I've stepped, I've increased my amount of posting and blog posts on stable style. Because in order for stable style to grow, I've needed to put a little more time into it. Mm -hmm. um, but my horses and heels followers, they're still happy because I have two newsletters. So I have my horses and heels newsletter, which everybody on horses and heels gets stable style as well. So they don't have to be on that second newsletter. Whereas stable style, like I said, it's kind of different. It has a different audience. Um, some people just follow it for itself. So then they get their stable style newsletter. Um, so in terms of just balancing them both, I do feel like, especially this year, I've put horses and heels at a little bit of a backseat. I mean, not by any means am I going to stop or anything like that. I was going to say, it's, I haven't noticed it at all. It seems well, just, good. Yeah, I haven't good. noticed That's it at the all. point. <laughs> You're not supposed to notice that I've, you know, I've cut back in some ways. But, you know, with social media, there's so much going on with Instagram. And it's like, oh, you have to post this. You have to post that. And you know how it is. You constantly have to be putting new content out there. But I'm also good at recycling at least on social media on you know my facebook page like holiday content reposting old stuff that's still relevant or stuff that is like evergreen content mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's a lot of work and it's hard and it's balancing but i love it you know what i mean i love having both accounts because they both provide a different outlet and and that's it's an awesome problem to have, you know. It's like too yeah. busy with two very successful sites, but then also fitting in time for your horse. I mean, you know, in a normal life, you know, it's like it, I it's a big undertaking, and and kudos to you for for doing it so well and so and so beautifully. You know, it's like I like I said, I couldn't even tell that you might have slowed down <laughs> just a little bit on horses and heels. And I love that you combine uh, horses and heels into the. Uh, or I'm sorry, stable style into the horses and heels newsletter. So I get that news too. So I do, I do really appreciate that. And that was very smart to do it that way. Newsletters take a whole lot of energy too. So it's like, I really you. commend you for, for doing, doing both and doing them well, which kind of makes me want to backpedal just a little bit because I'm, I'm really curious, like, did you, 
you know, when did you realize that you wanted to combine your love of horses with, with blogging? Uh, you know, did, did you just all of a sudden decide or were you like, I can do something like with this? Like what made you decide to do that? Yeah. So I've always been a creative person. Um, and have always wanted to work in a creative industry. And to give you just a little bit of background, um, you know, when I was deciding what I wanted to go to school for, what I wanted to do with my life, um, one of the things I wanted to do was be an architect, which if you know me, I'm so bad at math, that would have <laughs> just never worked. Like I used to read Architectural Digest as like a teenager. Like I would, you know, I was obsessed with design and interiors and um, I thought that stuff was really cool. So that was like a dream job, which I realized would never happen for me. Um, and then the second thing that I actually wanted to do um, after graduating is I got into voiceover and thought I wanted to do like a radio show, like morning show drive. Um, so I went to a broadcasting school and I started working at a radio station um, in their promotions department, you know, thinking, okay, I'll work my way up, like then I'll get a job, blah, 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 I'll do on air. Um, and I worked with a radio station for about a year or so in their promotions. And I kind of just felt like, oh, like nothing is really happening right now. Um, I need to kind of try something new. So I got this internship at a recording studio um, in downtown Cleveland. And I knew that music and recording was a little, you know, over my head, but I was like, okay, let's go with that and just see what happens after this. So I got that internship. They ended up hiring me for uh, their social media. And that was just one of those things that was kind of, um, laughable because I didn't even have a Facebook account at the time. And they're like, well, we really like your work ethic. Like we, you know, they really liked me. So that was great. That's how I got into social media. So I was managing accounts for the record, um, the recording studio. And they also had a record label there. It was a startup, you know, so I was like working with bands and stuff like that. So that's how I got in there. Well, what happened is as this record label was a startup, um, you know, it failed because there was mismanagement of money and a whole lot of stuff going on there. So I ended up losing my job. Um, and at this point I was really sad about it because I really liked, you know, doing like the social media and all that stuff. And I thought it was really fun. So just to save myself, you know, when I lost my job, because it came out of nowhere, mm -hmm. I grabbed a job. Um, I became an executive assistant for this guy, you know, high power hedge fund guy. Um, and so I started doing that job and that's when I knew I needed some sort of creative thing. So while I did this job, that's when the idea for the blog came along. Um, and I remember I used to go, my like one job was to basically write him a specialized newsletter every day like what was happening in the world and that would interest him. So I took all of like the wall street journal, New York times, like I scanned the papers and like basically rewrote the most interesting stories that would pertain to him. So that was my one job. And I thought that was so boring. Mm. Um, so when I was done with my newsletter for him, I would just write at my desk and would make like, I drew out the blog and like what I wanted it to look like and just kind of started 
you know, making a plan for horses and heels. So that's where that all started and where that came from. Wow. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how our corporate careers can kind of set us up for our creative endeavors and actually, you know, give us some of the skills that we need in order to, you know, run these womanpreneur businesses of our own. Uh, and it's so interesting hearing your start. Now, the name Horses and Heels, I've always thought was such a great name and so perfectly sums up what you do on your, on your blog and what you share and what you talk about. Did that, did you have a dream about that? Did that come out of anywhere? Did you pair things together in order to come up with that name? I'm so curious where that name came from. It was a contender for, there's, there were a couple names that were contenders when I was thinking of, you know, the blog, because I was like, Oh, it's going to be equestrian, but like, it's going to be fashion forward. So I was like, it needs something that shows that it's fashionable and fun. So I know there were like three names that I thought of and I basically, I took a poll with like friends and the other name that was in the running was stilettos and spurs, (laughs) which I'm glad I didn't go with because I think more people would have like, they would misspell stiletto or, you know, I think there would have been issues with that, but I Mm -hmm. thought that was cute. You know, and I don't remember who came up with horses and heels, if it was me or if my sister said, you know what I mean? Because I think we're like, oh, stilettos and spurs, like that's super cute. And then we're like, but horses and heels is cute too. And then I know that there was probably another name um, that I'm not thinking of, but those were like the two that were like narrowed down to be the finalists. And then I remember like asking my friends, I'm like, what do you think I should call my blog? And everyone's like, oh, we like horses and heels better. So. Yeah. And it, it totally rolls off your tongue too. I mean, it's just so perfect. I just, I think it's just such a great name. Thank you for sharing that with us. I was always really curious about that because I mean, I've loved following you for, you know, even before I ever wrote my books or even got involved in the equestrian world myself, I, you know, I was always a horse girl or a horseback rider, but never, you know, involved in the creative avenue. So I always have been a big fan of yours. And it's like, it's a dream come true for me actually to be talking to you today Mm -hmm. because I always looked up to you and thought that what you were doing was so cool. So, you know, that being said, you know, did you ever expect to be able to work full time um, and be able to support yourself through your, through your blogging and your creative endeavors? It's like a dream job. Like, yeah, I mean, I think I always hoped, you know what I mean? Um, And it's been, you know, obviously it's been very challenging because I think when I first started out, like living in Ohio, like cost of living is not very high there. So I've gone from Ohio to, you know, there was a point when I was able to quit my job um, and I was making money with the blog. And, you know, shortly after that, that's when my husband and I ended up moving to New York. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is what real rent like costs. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, here in Los Angeles, where it's also very, very expensive. Um, So it's been a challenge always because I've said like, I feel like I keep getting raises, but those raises get taken away from me by like rent or, you know, just cost of living, living in an expensive area. but it is nice that I get to be able to, you know, I wake up every day and I get to pick when I work. 
You know, sometimes I'll go for a morning ride. Sometimes I go for an afternoon ride. Sometimes I go for an evening ride. Sometimes I start work at noon. Sometimes I work until 10 p.m. You know what I mean? Sometimes I work at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. The flexibility is amazing. And then actually, I was listening to a podcast recently with someone I look up to. And, you know, they talk about work life balance. Well, if you work for yourself, like, Work-life balance is just something that people talk about. And it (laughs) sounds like a really nice idea, Um, but it's more like work-life integration. Mm -hmm. It's how you integrate your daily work into your life. And, you know, it's not always balanced at all because, you know, I do more than an eight-hour day on on most days. And I'm okay with that, though, you know? Because you, you love the work. I mean, you know, it's like, that's what makes the difference. You know, it's like, I think as a small business owner and and, um, living your dream job, you work more than you would at a traditional job, but I think you're creating better, you know, you're creating something better for the world because you're all in. Right. And, and uh, I love that analogy of work life integration because it is true you know you insert things like a load of laundry here back to the dust you know like go out and be with the horses back to the dust um and i I, that's a really great analogy so i really wanted to ask you about this too i'm uh i'm really interested because you are considered an equestrian influencer and i know like i said earlier i've been a fan of horses and heels in now stable style for as long as i can remember and, you know, I know I, I've always been inspired by your recommendations. In fact, your, is it a, A-S-O-S? Is that how you say it? Or is it, do you say, do you pronounce it differently? I think it's, yeah. I don't actually know because I've never heard anyone say it before. Okay. Well, I'm assuming it's A-S-O-S, but you just did a post yeah. featuring a bunch of equestrian theme clothing that I love from this particular brand. I actually went on and I bought like three different outfits mm-hmm. to wear to the Aquas Film Festival in December based on your recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, in pictures. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will for sure. And thank you for doing that because, you know, it's like you, I look to you to find these things because I don't have time to go like looking who's got horse clothes, you know, and, and I, li- I like that because it matches up with my brand and I go to these horsey events and because mm-hmm. of you always have like something cool to wear. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to ask you, what does being an equestrian influencer mean to you, you know, and how, how would you define being an equestrian influencer? Like how does someone reach that status? You know, that's a tough question because I feel like, you know, when I started, it was just, everyone was a blogger and now you have bloggers and you have influencers and they're two totally different things. You know, there are people who just have their Instagram accounts and they have no blog. Um, to me, I guess, and it's funny cause like I don't really consider myself to be an influencer. You know, I'm just like, Oh, I'm just a horse girl who has a blog. Um, you know, um, but I think what it is or how you get to that point, I guess you could say is you just post that, you know, you be you first of all, like you don't try and be anybody else because, you know, you'll see that where some people you can tell they're maybe just like trying just be yourself and, I think if you share or talk about things that you like and that you love, then people will, you know, it's exactly what you said. You were looking for those horse print things and to take that into like, you know, to dive into it a little bit more. I'm constantly going on H&M, Target, uh, um, I'm trying to think of another one, Forever 21, um, 
you know, pottery barn. Like I'm constantly looking for horse uh, fashion and home things that I can share on my blog because whenever it's mainstream, it always, one, I love it and other people love it too. So then to go into, I mean, a little bit of like the money-making aspect is usually I'm posting an affiliate link and I'm going to make a commission off of that. So, you know, to me, I guess influencing is getting people to either A, like buy your, you know, share your tastes and they're buying it from you. Or if you're not selling a product and say you're just like a horse trainer or you're, you know, you're an equine influencer who has, you know, this amazing horse or something, people are taking, you know, a little bit of your training methods or, you know, and they're applying them at home. So I think being an influencer is when you see something online and then you actually, the action is you're trying it by either buying or taking someone's advice. That's a great way to sum it up. And, you know, in fact, I've purchased thing from, from H&M because of you. And actually there's some throw pillows on my couch from one of your throw pillow yes. posts. I mean, thank you for curating all this stuff because, you know, like I said, like you're always looking for it and then you share it with us and yeah. you know, we love horses and anything horse inspired is, is such, it's so awesome that you share it in the space for, for us. Uh, so how does it make you feel to be able to impact our community with the stories on your blog and your product reviews and equestrian fashion recommendations. Like how's it make you feel to hear that, that your content's having an impact on me and I'm purchasing based on your recommendations. That, that has to feel awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a great feeling. I think I'm very, uh, just kind of, you know, like humble about it and reserved because, you know, sometimes like, you know, my husband would be like, Oh, you're a cool horse girl. You know, he'll be like giving me a compliment. I'm like, Oh, I'm just, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Um, I think I don't sell myself, you know, or think of myself in that way. I'm just like, Oh, I'm just doing what I like. Um, but no, it's a great feeling, um, to just know that other people think it's really cool. Cause. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say that that's why I think horses and heels and stable style resonates is because you are authentic and you are just being you and sharing what you like. And that, and that totally shows through in, in the content you create in the shares that you make. Like you're sharing things that you would have in your home or barns that you would love to own or clothes that you would also wear. I mean, you've, you've, you actually uh, take pictures and, and model some of the, the items that you recommend. So it, it is authentic and, and you're right. People can tell and, and we can tell with you that it's from the heart. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And I, and I think it's important to, um, be, be modest or be, you know, humble about those things too. Um, and, you know, I think that's a great lesson for other people to, to hear from you is that, you know, it's like you may have invented something, but to be, you know, authentic and humble about it is, is a very important characteristic. Uh, which leads me into um, working with equestrian brands. I'm curious about this too. I, you know, how do you decide which brands to work with? Because I, I know that you're selective about your choices, like, you know, and it must go back to what you would like, what you would like and authenticity, but you do work with a lot of brands. How do you start those partnerships and how do you decide who you want to work with? Cause I'm sure you are contacted constantly. Um, you know, sometimes I just think it's, it's like what you said, I have to, one, I have to like them. Um, or it'd have to be something that I would either buy on my own or I would actually, you know, wear or have, or, you know, like you said, 
my house is very small. So like when I post like home decor stuff, I'm like, Oh, I want that. I'm like, I have no room for it. You know what I mean? Like if I had room for it, like I would have it like that sort of thing. Or if my closet had unlimited, you know, I would have it. Or if I had unlimited funds, I would have it. Like that's the way that I think about it. Um, and when it comes to the brands, you know, I try and promote people that I like also as a brand. Um, you can tell a lot, or at least I think I'm pretty perceptive, you know, judging by an email from someone, if they're being authentic or if it's a copy and paste email, um, you know, because if it's like, Hey, sir, or like, Hey there, you know, if someone says, Hey there, in the start of an email, I might write back to them, but chances are, um, I won't. And it, it used to be when I started out, I would try and write back to every single email. Mm -hmm. um, and now there's gotten to be a point where I've realized that I don't need to feel bad if I don't respond to every single email, because if they put that little thought into like a copy paste, they don't really care about me or really want to work with me. So it's okay if I don't write back to them. Um, and same thing with brands. I think that the timing has to be right. Um, there are a couple of brands that I'm really excited to be working with. One is a, um, a breach. Well, it's actually, it's a riding gene. And I'm really excited because it's a combination between a riding jeans and breeches. And if you know me, I wear breeches with my cowboy boots sometimes. And so I feel like I am that person, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm super excited to be like, you know, they're sending me a couple pair of their, uh, their riding jeans and we're doing some campaigns, you know, on stable style as some banner advertising. And so that's like a client that to me, they're the perfect client because we are, you know, I'm showing off their product and we're working on, you know, a couple different levels of marketing and I love it. So it's, you know, extremely authentic. There's a friend I have in New York city who started a cowboy boot line and I'll be working with her on some, uh, some boot stuff. And, you know, I'm very excited to get her boots. Um, so I think that just when you're working with a brand, like you have to get really excited because what I've realized is like, say if someone is sending me a product or something, if it arrives and you're just like, uh, like if you don't have that excitement, promoting it and doing that, like work behind, like putting it out there mm -hmm. is going to be a lot harder. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that those are kind of the things like it really has to excite me or I have to really want to share it because if I don't want to share it, then chances are my readers are, they're going to be able to know, or it's just going to come across that like, eh, she's sort of excited, but not really. That makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to learn more about those writing genes. That sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you for sharing that. And then something else that I really love that you do on both Horses and Heels and Stable Style is that you um, feature, like you support horse book authors and you make book recommendations. Um, what, what do you look for in a, in a book to recommend? And then, and then what kind of books do you feature? So, okay. In terms of what kind of books I feature, I mean, all horsey books. Um, I, in terms of like what I'm looking for, um, you know, they say not to judge a book by a cover, but I do. 
Um, especially <laughs> if it's like a coffee table book or something, you know, the imagery has to be really beautiful or it has to draw you in. Um, you know, cause I'm for, obviously I'm an Amazon affiliate. So I recommend books on Amazon all the time. And, you know, I do get commission when people buy those books. Um, one thing that I don't know if people ever really talk about, but the benefit of being an affiliate is obviously the first thing is you are getting a commission. But the second thing is you're actually seeing what people want to buy. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing, oh, this book sold this many times or this book, you know what I mean? So you're learning about your audience or you're learning about what people are shopping for. Um, so I've kind of learned that people are really into coffee table books. Um, those sell really well in terms of uh, horse books and horse novels. I've had a conversation with my other friend who you know, Susan, like we've talked about um, books and there aren't enough horse books out there um, because I feel like I'm coming to a point where in terms of recommendations, like I know most of the books out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you're an author, keep writing because I even, you know, when I'll tag your book or something, you know, on Instagram, for example, or something or in like a story or whatever, people will DM me and be like, what's that book about? You know, I'm looking for another like book recommendation and then I'll like tell them. So books are just, you know, I wish I had more time to read because I don't read as much as I should. Um, but I love books. I love horse books. and a lot of people do too. So that's why I do the book recommendations because I think it's fun. Um, and I love putting those lists together. So, you know, I'll do like an all Western or all, you know, there's usually some sort of theme that ties the books together. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for supporting horse book authors. It's, it's so awesome to have you in our corner and thank you for always supporting my books. I really appreciate you actually. Uh, when you featured uh, Chopin Promise, the third book in my series for your autumn, autumn recommended breeds, I instantly saw a lift in sales. So, so thank you for, for doing that and, and for liking the books. And I know you only share things that you authentically like. So I appreciate your support. That's actually what brought us together. This yeah. is the first time Raquel and I are actually talking to each other, um, although we've had kind of a working relationship for a few years now, this is the first yeah. time like seeing and talking to each other. And I reached out to her all nervous, you know, <laughs> when I was a brand new author and I was like, would you be interested in reading my book? And you were so kind and lovely. And you're like, of course, I'd love to read your book. And I sent it to you. And then we developed this really, you know, beautiful internet friendship. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, no, that's great. And then one thing that I will side note is I do get a lot of emails like yours now too, where people do offer to send me books. And a lot of times I do just decline because I say like, well, I don't have to, you know, I would love to have your book, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to read it right now. But I do flag everyone's emails because I get a lot of them. People will email me about their book and I'll say, Hey, like, I'm going to keep your information. So the next time I do a roundup, like you can be considered. Um, and that, that's really yeah. great to point out. I, I do understand how um, requests to read books can really pile up. I think I have like a pile on my nightstand of books that I'm behind in reading. And I love to read. I think I've read, you know, like 60 books this year, but I'm still behind. And I, there's so many um, horse book authors that I promised I'd read and review their books. And I will. Just takes a while when you're a busy cowgirl. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I totally get that. So let's not flood Raquel with <laughs> requests to read read our books. Let's just know that she supports us and she's yes. keeping an eye on what we're doing. And and I'm hoping through this uh, podcast too to inspire um, other authors who are or aspiring authors that are interested in writing horse books to like get in the game and bring us some new material because I, I don't know I feel like sometimes I've read them all too we need more fiction we need more fiction with horses we do I I 100% agree yeah well that's why I wrote my books because I wrote the book I wanted to read because I, you know I couldn't find it or I had read everything already so exactly I, I love that you pointed that out I wanted to talk a little bit too I mean I think I sent you a lot of questions so thank you for you know being so kind to answer all these because I was just so excited to talk to you but <laughs> Uh, you know, not only have stories been written about you and Fira and your life in the city and everything that you've been doing in very, you know, popular horse magazines, but you also uh, freelance, you, you write yes. for equestrian magazines, which is another thing to add to your pile of, of things to do, which is very obvious mm -hmm. why you don't have enough yeah. time. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how you got into freelance work for horse publications and, and which publications you've, you've written for? I know people are going to recognize them. <laughs> yeah. So um, right now, or at least this year, I've done a lot of work for Horse Illustrated and um, the Paint Horse Journal and Chrome Magazine, which is their members-only publication. Um, I've done stuff in the past for Cowgirl Magazine. I've done a little bit for Western and English Today. You know, I've done a couple articles here and there for, oh shoot, I mean, one magazine, they're no longer in existence anymore. Um, I was featured in Horse and Style uh, this summer, which was really exciting. So, you know, the magazine thing, that's always been really fun for me. And I guess to say how I got into it was by being a blogger, because in no means am I a professional writer or, you know, trained to do it, or nor did I ever really think of myself as a writer when I started blogging. You know, I was like, I'm slapping up photos, adding a little bit of text. Um, I've come a long way as a writer, and it's something that I actually really enjoy. When I think maybe it was two or three years ago was when um, Rachel from Chrome Magazine, she had, she had interviewed me um, for a story that she was writing. And then I remember it might be three years ago, she had sent me an email um, about doing an article for them, writing for them. And I was just like, I was so excited to get that email. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I'm not a writer, but they're asking me to write for their magazine. So I was very lucky in the sense that I didn't have to pitch something. That kind of fell into my lap. Um, so I did the article. I obviously did a good enough job because, you know, they asked me to do some more. And then, you know, every year they have, you know, what's called pitch season and they'll ask you for your pitches. So I've already pitched and been assigned my 2020 writing assignments. And I'm actually really excited because I have a, a pretty big workload coming up for uh, the Paint Horse Journal and for Chrome. And I'm really excited. They're giving me some, uh, some articles that are kind of outside of, you know, I usually do like the really fashion, like fun um, stuff, but they're giving me a little more technical stuff because I had done an article for them this summer and they were actually really surprised because they're like, usually our technical writers and our, you know, it's two different styles basically. And they were surprised that I was able to pull it off. And I was too. Um, 
<laughs> so they gave me some more stuff. So I'm actually really excited about that. Um, you know, and it's just kind of what I tell people it's horses over here all day, every day. Um, and it's fun. That's great. So, so your freelance career kind of started by you being so good, people couldn't ignore you and they started coming to you, which is, which is really great. And that makes life a little easier when, when people are drawn to you and come to you and ask and ask you to participate. So the, the technical article, I'm, I'm curious, what was the technical article about? So I can go and, and look for it because. Well, <laughs> the funny story about that is it didn't get published um, this year. So it might be getting published uh, 2020, um, but you'd actually, you'll love the subject. It's about spooking. Oh, um, perfect. Great subject. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm very versed about spooking and I, you know, interviewed a couple of really great trainers and it was a really, it was a good article to write and it just, it had to get bumped because of another story that was time sensitive, but they were like, this is kind of evergreen, so we're going to push it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's okay. But I do hope that it comes out this year and I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll be looking for that. And that, it, that, that happens all the time for people that aren't, aren't aware. That happens all the time in the publishing industry, you know, like something that's more timely may move something back or even forward uh, based on, you know, the, the content. So, so that's normal. And I'm, I will look forward to that. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm always excited every time I open a magazine and I see, see your name at the top. I'm like, oh, I know her. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, and, and that's the other thing that I wanted to say too, just based on your comments is that, you know, you, you start in one place when you take on, you know, a creative career, your own business or your own blog or what have you, and you grow, like through this process, you grow and you start uh, expanding what you do. And like, look at now, you know, you're freelancing for equestrian publications and writing technical articles, you know, and then kind of stepping outside of the fashion world and the fun pieces. And that's exciting because you're evolving and yeah. you're constantly learning. That's really cool. So this leads us to, you know, this is the equestrian author spotlight. So I, you know, I'm, I'm sure people know this, but I want to kind of put a spotlight on it that, you know, you're, you've written a book. So your blog yeah. and your equestrian writing experience, you know, in, in equestrian publications leads us to your book from passion to profit, a step-by-step -step guide to niche blogging. Tell us about your, your book. So it's basically kind of a beginner's guide to starting a blog and kind of everything that you need to do to one, start the blog, um, to like, once you have it, you know, coming up with content, setting a schedule. And, um, you know, I talk about social media and the importance of it, you know, the power of Pinterest, like just basically, and then I talk about, you know, affiliate networks kind of, it basically goes into an intro on basically all of those subjects. Um, so yeah, that was something that a goal that I had set for myself and I'm happy that, you know, you that have, it's out there. You have a book baby. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean, obviously people that are interested in, in this equestrian space, like you are the perfect go-to person for, for, for something like this and how to, how to create an, a blog in, in this this, you know, niche, I, I hate to call it that because I feel like everybody loves horses, but it is, you know, it's yeah. a very, it's a very, um, you know, what am I trying to say? It's a very, you know, like perfect. It's select. Yeah. yeah. It's very select. Thank you. Thank you. I, I often stumble sometimes when I'm trying to find the right words to describe these things, 
What's really cool though, is you, you also offer the book bundled with personal coaching packages. Would you talk to us a little bit your, about your coaching offer and you know, how people can work with you one-on-one? Yeah. So that's something I offer well on my blog and then in my newsletter, it's there too. Um, but I've done not a lot of them and I also, I don't promote it as much as I should. You're a loyal fan and follower. So you, you're in the know. Um, but I've done, and I actually did one probably within a month ago, um, for someone who's starting a blog and I'm, I'm actually really excited to see where she goes with it and what she does. But the nice thing about the coaching um, and what I tell people is you can ask me anything on the phone. And I mean anything. And I will give you, you know, a straight and honest answer. And that's just one of those things where I've kind of learned over the years just by doing everything that I've done. Um, and, you know, what led me to write the ebook and the coaching sessions is just you know, you learn that you can Google your way through a lot and you can get a lot of good answers, but you only really get the best answers if you pay for them. And I don't mean to say that in like a, you know, people will help you and people will give you really good advice and they're intending to give you that good advice. But to have like that hour where you're just bouncing back and forth, like, it's a very intense conversation. You know what I mean? I mean, it is what you, some people will come and they have like their list of questions of everything. And then some people you can tell they were not very prepared and they were just like, uh, you know, they're thinking of questions on the fly. Uh-huh. I mean, that's fine too. Um, and personally I've benefited from a couple of eBooks that I've bought. And then I've also bought somewhere I was very disappointed because I was just like, Oh, I already know that like, mm-hmm. you know, I've bought some courses and I've just felt let down. And that's the thing. Anybody can write their own ebook or their own course. So if you do buy one, do your research and make sure or ask the person questions ahead of time to make sure that you will be learning from it. But you know, that's the reason I wanted to do the coaching session because I thought the book was cool and the book was good. But if you want to go really dive in basically beyond that, the coaching is just kind of a a way to dig in a lot deeper. Um, and I always tell everyone, like, I recommend reading the book first and then do the coaching. That's so really that you have a chance really, to digest. Yeah, that that's really smart because because you you lay it all out in the book, but then you know there's follow-on questions. And and I think you you are totally correct when you say, you know, the best advice comes from, you know, advice that you pay for and, and trusted resource. It's really important to have someone in your corner when you're building a business or you're, you want to step into this world and, you know, some of the most successful or most of the most successful people in the world have their own coaches. Like this is not, you know, like a surprise thing, like, like business CEOs have coaches. Like we all, we all need coaches and have coaches. And I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing is offering that service for people um, to learn from one of the very best in the equestrian lifestyle side of things. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Oh, that's great. So I will link to uh, where you can find Raquel's book in the show notes. And I'll also link to your, your coaching pack- packages as well. So people can take a look at those and see if they work for them. But you can also buy the book without the coaching packages, but there's the option to do both. Or you can just yes. do coaching, right? So you can buy the book. Yes. You can buy the book and coaching, or you can just do coaching. So there's a lot of op- opportunity to connect with you around what you do. Yes. 
So very cool. So I already, you know, in one of the questions I, I sent over before we started the interview, I asked you, you know, do you have a special time to write or how's your day structured? And, and what, I, what I love is you shared that you have a flexible schedule. Like you kind of, I, you know, I imagine you just sort of run up the to-do list, but then take care of other things along the way. So, it, you know, do you have a structure or do you just kind of do what needs to be done? You know, every day is different because my husband also works from home on most days. Um, and he's in the music industry. So he works long days as well. And him and I don't have as much time to hang out, you know? So for example, this morning, him and I just hung out. We went and got breakfast this morning and went for a walk. And then, you know, I did this. And I also worked a couple hours in the morning while he was still sleeping. So I try and do my most important tasks in the morning. Um, and then after this, I'm going riding. And then I'm going to start working like, you know, more through my day, but then I'll probably work until eight or nine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every day is different and I keep a lot of lists and stuff like that. I just feel like I try and do my most important tasks, you know, in the morning. And then it's like, oh, I can maybe treat myself with a ride or if I still need to work, I'll keep going. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, like you mentioned laundry or stuff like that, like I'll be doing, you know, I'm going to take an hour break, but I'm cleaning the house for that next hour. Like sometimes we just need computer breaks. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's no such thing as an identical day around here. I have my to-do list and I just uh, take it day by day or week by week based on like my husband's schedule and, uh, you know, things that I have going on, you know, appointments or phone calls or whatever. And I, I love that you said that you do the most important thing first. I think that's great. And often the most important thing that you need to do is like your biggest, I don't want to thing. <laughs> I know that's like the, how it is for me also. Yeah. So I think that that's great advice. Like just get that done, get that out of the way. And I also want to say thank you for giving me the gift of your time and giving me such a large chunk of, of your time today to do this interview. I really appreciate it because I know you are very busy. Um, of course. And then, you know, we're getting, you know, towards the end here, so I, I can, we can start to wind down, but uh, I wanted to ask you, was, was there one thing that you wish you had known when you started your blogging adventure? Hmm. You know, the one thing that I do tell people um, when I quit my job, I wish that, and maybe this is good advice for anybody who's quitting their job, but um, I wish I would have stayed working a little bit longer because here's the thing. My boss basically offered to give me any salary that I wanted and let me like have more control of my hours because he didn't want to let me go. Wow. And, That's a dream. <laughs> no, I know. And I was like, no, because I was done. It was, it was a very stressful job though. I mean, I used to start crying like every Sunday afternoon because I had so much anxiety about like going into work. So like, when I say it was stressful, it was very stressful. And at that point I felt that the money wasn't worth it. But looking back, I was like, oh, for another three months, I should have just held it together and asked for that bigger raise and just, you know, that's a, a regret of mine, I guess. I mean, it's not really a big regret, but I'm just saying like, if you're getting ready to quit a job, prepare for them to say, okay, 
but also prepare for them to say no. And then that's where you make a little more money and you hang in there a little bit longer. And you also have a little bit of power to kind of maybe negotiate your schedule, right? You know, it sounded like you probably would have been able to create a little more freedom for yourself. So maybe there wouldn't have been as much anxiety, but I know that feeling. I know how it feels to go to a job that you just dread and it's not healthy. So, you know, so it's like, you got to weigh those things, right? When you make decisions like that. But yeah, when, yeah. when you are good at your job and you are getting ready to leave, there's often that opportunity where they'll come back to you and they'll say, please stay. What do you want? What it will take? And then maybe you can redesign your schedule so it works better for you. Or maybe there's that boost in salary where you can put a little more away to support you when you actually do walk out the door. So that's, that's really great advice. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I wanted to ask you, what is that? What is the hardest thing about being considered an equestrian influencer? You know, I know, I know, like you say, um, you, you don't really think of yourself that way, but I, I see you as this great, shiny, like celebrity. So, you know, what's the hardest part about kind of being in that role? Honestly, it's time management, um, at least for me in terms of working, it's always trying to manage my time and wanting to do more and not being able to do it. Um, I have all these ideas all the time that are like popping off in my head and I'm like, Oh, I should do this. I should make this like, I want to do that. And then, you know, I only get to do one or two of those things. So I think that that's kind of the thing that, uh, always makes me a little bit sad, I guess you could say, is I can't execute all of my ideas um, just because it's, it's a time thing always that I'm battling with. And I think you just have to learn to be okay with you can only do so much. Um, so, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, yeah, I always wish there was, you know, more hours in the day to get things done. <laughs> I can totally feel that. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, what is the best thing about, and you've mentioned a lot of really good things about it, but like, what's the best thing for you about, about being in, in the influencer position? I think uh, just the friendships that I've made, um, especially out here in LA, there are so many horse girls or Southern California, like horse people that I would have not, I've never would have met them if it weren't for my Instagram account or my blog. So people have like, you know, they've reached out to me and we've set up like coffee dates. And I mean, almost every girl that I go riding with, we met because of Instagram. So I don't think I would have these friendships and that's kind of amazing because you know, like us horse girls, like we always find each other, mm -hmm. but I'm friends with English people and I probably wouldn't have run into them at their show. You know what I mean? So I think the best part is just like the connecting and even with beyond the friendships, like the brands and stuff, like you make friends with, you know, brand reps or different people. Um, and I think you're always just, learning from other people. Like, that's what I really like. You know, I ride with people from different disciplines and, um, I've also learned there are so many different types of horse owners. I mean, I've always known this in Ohio, but like here in LA, you see it, like you see so many different types of horse owners and, you know, some of them I really relate to some of them. You're just like, Oh no, I can't <laughs> believe I just witnessed that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best thing, at least for me with like Instagram is just meeting like horse girls and like planning rides and stuff like that. That's kind of, I think, a highlight. 
And I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the friends that you end up making through through connections and just doing this sort of work is are really cool. And I think that that's awesome that you're open to meeting up and, and making new friends, horsey friends in, in the LA area. I think that's so cool. If you, if you follow, I'll make sure to link to all your social media channels and in, in, uh, the show notes. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But, you know, follow follow horses and heels or stable style on um, Instagram or, or Facebook or Twitter, all the places that she is, because it's so fun to watch her adventures with her horsey girlfriends as they go to all these really unique, cool places in California and take pictures and kind of document their rides along the way. I think that's so neat. It's fun. Yeah. And then one, uh, two more questions. Okay. So one, you know, what might a fan of yours be surprised to learn about you? Um, probably that I'm shy and quiet and reserved. Um, I don't know if it comes off in my Instagram or not, but you know, one of the reasons I started blogging is because I thought I could just hide behind a computer screen. Um, and then Instagram happened, Instagram happened and everyone wanted to, you know, see your face. And I was just like, well, that's terrifying. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's just that like, I'm actually just a pretty quiet person um and and that's it's that's sweet and lovely and there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a little more reserved and and shy and i never ever would have known that when i learned that about you i was i was really surprised so you did you do a very good well a good job overcoming that i guess is that the right way to say that yeah <laughs> that's great and then last question what are you curious about right now? What's, what's next? Where are you going? What are you doing? It can be anything. Oh gosh, that's such a, lo a loaded question. <laughs> it could be horsey, um, bloggy. I mean, right now there are a lot of, well, not a lot. There are two big projects and you actually, you probably know this per our email conversations, but you know, there are two big projects that I've wanted to get off the ground and I just haven't been able to. Um, it's my own time management, you know, just not making it a priority, but um, there's something that I really want to do for stable style. That would be a huge project. Um, and I'm not even going to say the word out here because if I do tell others, I'm going to have to actually make it happen. And Ooh. I think I will eventually, um, but it's just one of those huge, huge undertakings. And I think another thing that I'm excited about is just uh, 2020 is going to be a year for a lot more adventures with Fira and I and actually leaving like the Rancho, which obviously we love it here. Um, so many places to ride, but we're going to start going to shows and stuff like that. So I'm definitely really excited about that. That's great. And I'll be, I'll be rooting for you from Arizona. I can't wait to, to see you compete and what 2020 is going to hold for you. And I, I believe you'll get that thing with stable style off the ground for sure. You, you, anything you set your mind to, I know that you can do and will do. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to ask you where readers can, or listeners, I'm sorry, excuse me. Well, readers and listeners can find your blog and your books and more about you and join your adventures. So uh, horsesandheels.com or at horsesandheels with the underscore on Instagram. And then stable style is uh, stablestyle.net and it's at stablestyle on Instagram. And those are probably, 
obviously both of the blogs have my, you know, information on there and Instagram is, you know, I'm very active. So send me a DM or, you know, comment on a post and you'll probably get a response pretty quickly. So fantastic. And I will include all the links to your social media channels um, beyond Instagram. Well, Instagram will be there, but like your other ones there too, for people so they can follow you. And I will say your Instagram stories are so fun. I really enjoy watching them, you know, and, and as Fira, a lot of it is, you know, you riding Fira and her checking out new things like a garbage can or, you know, a bag or a garbage truck, or I, I always giggle uh, watching your adventures. So I encourage everyone to follow Stable Style and Horses and Heels. And Raquel, I just wanted to say, I'm so happy to finally talk to you for the first time in person. And you are as lovely as I thought you would be. And I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time to talk with me and to share, you know, a little bit about your journey becoming this very successful um, equestrian influencer. So thank you for the gift of your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for, you know, having me. Um, it was fun. Good. Well, let's do it again in the future as new things develop. Can't wait to have you back on. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.